0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. We're starting a new series today called Bear Fruit. Everybody say Bear Fruit. This series is going to be a great series in the month of July. It comes out of the book of John, Jesus' statement in John 15 that he said that it is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit, John 15:8. 8. It's Father's glory that you bear much fruit and proving to be my disciples, that God has actually set his kingdom in a way that those who are his sons and daughters would bear fruit. And in our fruit bearing, in our ability to be fruit stands as Christians, God would get glory out of that. That our fruit begins to minister to the people around us. And this is how God has set up his kingdom. And as I was preparing this week, um, I got the message card done. And I sent that off and was getting that printed. And finally something of a different nature kind of struck my soul. And uh, I fought it. And so I said, okay, well, I'll keep fighting it. But uh, I just want to surrender to it and say, Lord, this is what you want me to go a different direction. I'll go a different, different direction. So the card that you may have received when you came in, hold on to it. 14 days from now, I may preach that message, okay? I may preach that message. If you want to follow along without the message card, you can go to our Uversion app on your phone right there in front of you, and you'll see uh, the scriptures there in front of you. Go to Galatians chapter 4 with me. Galatians chapter 4, i want to preach to you a message that I'm going to entitle, Slavery to Sonship. Slavery to Sonship. Slavery to Sonship. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you created us for relationship. You created us for love. You created us for yourself that our hearts will always be weary and will go to and fro until we find our rest in you. Lord, I pray, God, that the truth of your death and resurrection, the fact that you came to this earth, you died on a cross, and you were raised to new life, Lord, brings hope today for us to make the confession that hope is greater than despair, that, Lord, life is greater than death, and that love is greater than hatred. And that encouragement is greater than discouragement or disillusionment. That God, you came and you died and you rose from the dead. I pray for refreshment for every person here. I pray, oh God, that you would give them hope and encouragement to every life. I have a sense in my heart today, Lord, that although we couldn't hear them rattling, there are people in this congregation even now who walked in with chains. God, I pray today you would set people free. I pray that you're love, your blood would set them free, and that God, when we leave these, this room, you would send us out unchained, and we receive it, we live in it, we declare declare that freedom, we receive that freedom, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I have a deep sense in my spirit today, because I've already seen it, that some of you will find a freedom today that you have not found in a long time, a freedom. Now, I didn't really think about this, but we, this week, are celebrating our freedom and. I never thought about it until it just hit me in this pulpit, that this is a freedom message, that you're going to find freedom today, that you'll walk out of here unchained. You know, a lot of times we come in to places like this where we come in with chains that no one else sees and no one else hears, but the reality is they're holding us back. The the reality is they're holding us down, and I'm convinced today that you can leave different. I don't know about you, but has anybody in the room ever felt like you've taken all the steps you know to take in the Christian life, and yet still things aren't working for you? Anyone ever felt this way before? You've, you've done all that you think your mentors, leaders, teachers have told you to do, all that you know to do in your own right, and what you've read in Scripture, and yet still things don't seem to be working. See, one of the secrets that we pastors don't tell people enough up front, and we certainly don't tell it out loud, is that you can actually give your life to Jesus, and your life can still be a mess. Now, I didn't say it can remain a mess, but you can give your life to Jesus and your life still be in a mess. What are you saying, Craig? I, I don't know what you, you, you 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 crossed the line of faith. You said yes to Jesus. You said, I, I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to entrust my life to the Lord. You've opened up your life, but something still isn't working in you. And some of you, it hadn't been working for a long time. Have you ever felt like God is helping everyone else in life but you? <laughs> Good to see you, Esther, by the way. We welcome you back. Esther, back from YWAM Paris, who's been there for the last few months, more than six months. It's amazing how time flies, doesn't it? We've missed you, but it's awesome to see your face with us this morning. But you, you, you look around at the people around you and you feel like, you know what? God is blessing everybody else, but he's not blessing me. Like, Have you ever felt like God is helping everyone else and answering their prayers, but he's not answering your prayers? You've looked to the left and right, and your feet have kind of slipped a little bit. Like, it would be all right if this was like the common Christian struggle. It would be cool if your friend's prayers didn't get answered, and yours too. But but what is not okay is that when you look around, and their prayers seem to be getting answered, and yet your prayers don't seem to be answered. It's like you're in the spiritual remedial class. It's like everybody else has it figured out, and you don't. Don't you just hate that person who moves to Atlanta? There's a lot of people who move to Atlanta, and and he moves to Atlanta or she moves to be an entrepreneur (laughs) or an artist. And they look like everyone else in Atlanta. They look like you, right? And you know they won't make it. They're an entrepreneur. They want to start a business. You know they won't make it. They're a mess. They just came on a dream, a pie-in-the-sky dream. You know what? But they didn't have any schooling. They don't have a business degree. They have no bachelor's in business management or administration. And they just come on a whim, and they walk into a place like DP, but before they do, their life is a mess. They're struggling. Their eyes are bloodshot every weekend. I mean, they're racked. And then all of a sudden, they walk into a church in Atlanta. We have lots of them, like DP, awesome environment, and they have a life-changing encounter with Jesus, a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And the very next day, I'm talking about Monday, they get a call from a financier. They get a call from a businessman, and they go meet with that businessman, and They literally get the job and they come to church the next week and they're like, you know what, it's so amazing. God changed my life and and I've only been here one month and and I have a great job. Isn't God so awesome? And the reality is you're like, uh, he's not awesome enough because I've been following this Jesus for eight years and I don't even like church, but I've been going to church for five years hoping that God would see the accumulated attendance and the accumulated attendance would somehow give me some kind of bone here that when I go into a relationship or I go to the job that I'll get something that I want. You ever felt like you put in the work and man, you didn't get rewarded? You ever felt like God is just not showing up for you? Just not showing up. There's a fascinating dynamic in Scripture. Very fascinating. And and, and it tells us that God has these promises for us. And if you pay attention enough, these promises can be incredibly compelling. But then what happens is we have a reality, and our reality doesn't seem to match up with the description of God's promises. So we live in two different orbits. God's promises, our reality. What I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through and show you how you can match your reality to the promises in Scripture. How to begin to live the life to the full measure of the life that God created you to live. And in the end, what I hope will happen is in your life that you'll begin to live your life in the absolute freedom that God created you to live in, and you would live unchained. Everybody say unchained. So this is this passage. Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. Verse two, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Verse four, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. Everybody say adoption to sonship, and because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. I love this part. And since you are his child, since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So he begins by telling us, look, go back to the verse 1. As long as you're an heir, as long as an heir is underage, he or she will not experience the full benefit of being an heir. If an heir is underage, they don't get to experience the benefits of being an heir. Now, uh, uh, this language is not language we're accustomed to, right? We're not all Meghan Markle who gets to marry a prince. We're not all Meghan Markle who gets to marry a duke or whatever he is, right? That that she gets to marry into a royalty and a royal family. And understand something, listen, that she has an inheritance now that she's received simply by being part of the family, And what Scripture tells us right there in Galatians 4 is that we've been brought into a unique family. Once you cross the line of faith, once you say yes to Jesus and entrust your life to him, you become an heir of God. You become a son or a daughter of God. But the problem is we don't actually live that heirship. So what he's telling us is this. There is a gap between who we are and the life we experience. And he wants us to understand in Galatians 4 how we cross that line so that we can live the life that God created us to live and bear the fruit that God wants us to bear. This series is Bear Fruit. I found myself saying we can't talk about the fruit God wants to bear through us until we get this issue down pat. Where does the fruit get born out of? The identity of who we are as his sons and daughters. Now, notice the passage again. Go back to it. He is working from the assumption. He says, "I'm saying that uh, that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave." He's making an assumption and assuming that you, as a believer, know you're an heir. When I read that, I laugh. I don't know about you, but I didn't know when I met Jesus that I married into royalty. I did not know that I was now in the bloodline to receive more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. I didn't know that. But Paul tends to think that we have the assumption we knew we were heirs. We knew we were heirs. And then maybe you don't know who you are. See, I found in my own life that the dominant reason that many of us still have changed in our lives is we don't know who we are. The reason we're chained is because we don't understand who we are. This lack of identity, of course, is crippling the church. So he says you're an heir, but as long as you are an heir that's underage, you are no different from a slave. Now, folks, I'll be honest. I want to call time out on Paul right there and say that line disturbs me. That line disturbs me. What do you mean? I don't ever want to be described as a person who is a slave or is no different from a slave. He says, so you're an heir, but if you are underage, you are no different than a slave. See, some of you in this room, you have opened up your life to Jesus, but you're still living like a slave. You've opened yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you live like a slave. And you can't figure out why you're living like a slave when you open your life to Jesus. And what he's telling you is this: is a reason that this is happening. There's a reason that you're still acting like a slave. When you are under age, you experience your relationship to God no different than a slave to a master. When you are under age, you know and operate as a slave to a greater master rather than A son or daughter, rather than an heir, you're no different from a slave, comma although he owns the whole estate. Wow, you own the whole estate, but you're living like a slave. That adds insult to injury, Paul. Even though you're the owner of everything, you live life as if you have nothing. So I want to ask you today: Are you living like a slave? Are you living like a slave? Are you living like a slave in your relationship to Almighty God? Listen to me. Jesus did not die on a cross so that God could be your master. He died on the cross so that God could be your father. That's why he died on the cross. But some of you, you're relating to God as if he is the master and you are the slave. And listen, God has actually called us, according to the scripture, to be heirs, to be sons or daughters. Let me tell you. You know you're a slave and you're living like a slave if your entire relationship to God is centered in and about guilt and shame. You know you're a slave if your entire relationship to God is centered around obedience and obligation. You know you're living like a slave if you're trapped in religion and you're worried about God's judgment and you're worried about condemnation so you're afraid of God because you're a slave and he's a master. You're afraid of him. And there are lots of people that I meet who are struggling with a relationship with God. And we relate to God as if we're slaves. And slaves never expect anything. Slaves never ask for anything. Slaves never own anything. Slaves never have anything that is theirs. Slaves never expect anything from their master. Some of you are living like slaves, yet you're called by God to be heirs. You're called to be sons. So let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you're still acting like a slave. You're still acting like a slave because you are under age. You're under age. You're still a child. You're still mature. You don't get the benefits of being a son or a daughter until you grow up. He says it. Although you already own the whole estate, you will not receive it until you grow up. Because as long as you're a child, you're a slave. As long as you're a child, you don't receive the rights of heirship and being a true son or daughter. You don't get it. So are you are living like a slave? The answer is grow up. The answer to this is grow up. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we were with the kids, three kids in the car, and she went into the grocery store with one of our children. My my two kid, older kids stayed in the car with me, Knox and Marley. My Marley girl's five years old, and, and um, I was in the driver's seat, but I wasn't driving. I let Marley get up in the front seat, and I started letting her drive around the parking lot. And I had people staring at me. My five-year-old, her smile was from earlobe to earlobe, and she was wide open. I mean, she was loving life, right? She thinks she is driving. She thinks it's awesome turning in lanes and going up front. I had this one guy, press P- P- precious guy. He had a young son next to him, and he comes out of the grocery store, and he just, he just waves at her as big as he can. Now, he waited till we were far gone before he crossed, but he still waved at her, okay? He still waved at her, and she's as big, I mean, just this huge, big smile on her face, right? And I think it's epic. I think that's epic as a dad. I'm not advocating breaking the law. But here's what I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure those of you who've done that with your kids, and I know for myself, if you've ever done that with your kids, I'm pretty sure something about you as a mom and a dad. I'm pretty sure you would never give your five-year-old the keys. I'm sure to sure you would never say, you know what? Hey, choose. Take the keys, do what you want to. See, for my Marley girl, she couldn't. She has to choose between two options. It's either the steering wheel or the gas pedal. She can't do both. So if, if she's going to do the gas pedal, she's got to go down and get on her hands and push that thing. And she can't see above the, above the, the windshield, right? So she can't do both. Uh, if, if Marley came up to me and she said, Dad, can I have the truck this weekend? I need the Tacoma. I need to take my friends out to watch The Incredibles 2 tonight. I would look at her and I would say, have you lost your mind, girl? I would say you weren't really driving the other day. I was driving. I was letting you pretend you were driving, but you weren't. I mean, to be honest with you, have you ever met a 12-year-old who didn't think they could drive? It doesn't happen, right? I mean, have you ever met a 13-year-old who didn't feel like they're ready to take on the world? They're ready to take on the world? You were probably like that. I could have driven at 11 years old, but the law of the United States of America wouldn't let me. You know, they, they hindered my great potentiality in the Lord in driving. Right, we we my friend got a hardship at fourteen. I could have got it at twelve, you know. Right, we we, we feel like man, we can take on the responsibility. Some of you, you think your parents held you back. <laughs> Some of you, you still shouldn't have a license, and you're 45. A couple of weeks ago, we were at the pool. My 18 month old Harper, she's wide open too. She's like Marley. She's my my eight year old Mister Timidity. Mr. Knox, timidity, he's analyzer. He's thinking about everything. He knows every step. When his body hits the water in the pool, he needs to know what's going to happen, what it's going to feel like if he's going to go left or right. He needs to know everything, and he's thinking about it forever. When he's ready to dive, it's 20 minutes because he's got to think of every deal, right? He's got to lay it out as a leader. He's got to know the response of the people, what's going to be the applause. Is there no applause? I mean, this is him. This is my son. My 19-month-old, my, my, my she turned 19 months two days ago. She takes off running to the pool. Now, we're not bad parents. I'm watching her. But she is running. I mean, she is just taking off running wide open. And I don't know about you, but does it ever make you nervous when you're around the pool and you watch the little ones running, like you're, they're going to slip and fall and, and do damage to the concrete, right? And so um, it's a joke. Um, you get a little nervous, right? And you think, oh, I, I got to step in and help, right? Well, she's running. And she is thinking, you know what? I can swim. And my wife begins to scream at her, stop, Harper, right now stop, Harper, right now, and we keep doing that, and finally, I'm like, babe, we're gonna have to try a different approach, because that doesn't seem to be working, all right, like, stop, Harper, right now, and my little girl, the little legs, bouncing, you know, she's just learned to walk, she's got her jellies on, and her swim diaper, and she is running wide open, and she's about to go head first into the water, and she's thinking, I can swim, I know I can swim, I can swim, I know I can swim, and we were terrified, and I finally went up to her, and I grabbed her, and she pitched a fit, she was so upset, Dad is limiting my potential as a swimmer. Dad, what are you thinking? I know I can swim, right? Sometimes I want to take my kids and be like, Mom and Dad, just take them to the deep end and just drop them. You know, you think you can swim? Just drop them. And after 15 or 16 minutes, No, I'm just kidding, right? But after 15 years, when I I was a kid at the YMCA, you didn't have these swim instructors that were like patient with you. They grabbed you, they took your swimmies off and threw you in the deep end. And I'm doing all that I can to try to get to the side. I'm using my elbows, I'm screaming bloody murder. Much like my daughter is, when we first put her in swim lessons, we put her in last summer and before she was learning, she was scared to death and she'd get in the pool and the instructor would be there, we'd be on the side and she would look at me and she would say, Daddy, I love you, Daddy, I love you. Like she was about to die, this is her last moments and she would look at mom and say, Mom, i love you i love you i love you and i'm like baby i know and, and you know we're like we're the parents like walking off of the pool right because she thinks she's dead this is it for her well my harper girl's the opposite she is running full speed right full speed but there's a reason parents do not allow a two-year-old to swim by themselves it's because they can't swim there may be things in your life and you are angry with God because he hasn't come through he's not giving you the keys to the car he's not letting you jump in the deep end and the deep waters and you say God why do you keep holding me back there's a reason it's because you are underage and you're unable to take the responsibility that God wants to put on you in the next season of life and you think God's holding you back and you think God won't release you to jump in the water and you think God won't give you the keys to the next season of life but there's a reason you are still an adolescent and you haven't chosen to say you know what I'm going to become an adult I'm going to grow up and become spiritually mature. And God says, until you make the decision, I can't trust you with everything that is already actually yours. I can't trust you with it. I'm an adolescent. Listen, no one is in a greater hurry for you to grow up than God. No one. Because he wants to treat you like an heir. And every day you don't have to live like a slave is a day well spent for God. Because it's all yours. All the promises of God in scripture are yours. But you don't experience the promises and they don't actualize in your life as long as you are underage. As long as you're adolescent. And I've seen it for far too long as a pastor. I've been at it a little while. See, physically you eventually grow up. Physically. Some of you wouldn't want to, didn't want to. Some of you, you're trying to get in too much of a hurry to grow up. But finally you will turn 16, finally you will turn 17, finally you'll turn 18, finally you'll turn uh, 21, and America and the law will identify you as an adult even if you are not emotionally or relationally. And America will say you're an adult. The law will claim you're an adult. And what happens is you get the privileges of adulthood, and for some of you, those were the most devastating points of freedom in your life when you were 18 years old and you went away from home because you did not know how to handle that freedom. You're unable to handle the freedom that came with adulthood. You're unable to come with the responsibility that comes with adulthood. But see, your spiritual journey, it's not about time. Your spiritual journey is not about time. Spiritual maturity is not about time, it's about choice. How many minutes you have been a follower of Jesus doesn't make you mature. It's how many choices you have made as a follower of Jesus that makes you mature. It's how much responsibility you have taken on as a follower of Jesus that makes you an adult, that makes you mature in the Lord. See, some of you, you follow followed Jesus for 20 years, and you've made no progress in your journey. I've met people who follow Jesus for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years experience. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times. Because they never grown up. They're living the same life they lived last year, the same journey they were on last year. And you wonder why things haven't changed. And it's because you have found the safe space of adolescent Christianity in America. You found the safe space, and it is safe. In a lot of places, you won't be challenged to leave it. It's a safe space called adolescent Christianity. And you find yourself there as an heir, but acting like a slave. And what happens is you realize that as long as you can stay spiritually mature, you don't have to take on any responsibility. As long as you stay spiritually immature, you can always be someone else's responsibility. You can always be your leader's responsibility. You can always be your mom's responsibility. You can always be your dad's responsibility, but you don't have to take on responsibility yourself. I know, I know. Tough message, right? Not one we want to shout or applaud to, but one we need to grapple with. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you still where you were this time last year? Are you right now where you were five years ago? That's why, by the way, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ for many, many years and someone enters the faith brand new. You've seen this? I've seen it. Hundreds of times. And within two years, their influence in the kingdom of God, their maturity in the kingdom of God, their access to God's presence, and their ability to pray and have prayers answered totally overshadows your life, totally envelops your life, because maturity is not about how long you have believed, but how deeply you have believed. How deeply. How much you have trusted. So are you living like a slave because it's time to grow up? It's time to leave adolescence behind. That's why we do things, by the way, like growth phases here at our church. We do three semesters a year, growth phases, 12 weeks, of systematic teaching, walking through scripture. This Thursday, we just finished up our spring semester. We take off July and August and kick back the first Thursday in September. We've seen life change through growth phases, but why do we do growth phases? We do it because we wanna give people the opportunity to make the decision to build into your life the character of Christ. And I hear excuses all the time, right? We're all busy, we're all fruitful. I told you busy is a cuss word in our house. We don't use busy, we're all busy and no one wants to be parented by the busy dad. We use it like a badge of spirituality, but who wants to, who wants to be known as a busy dad? Oh, that's a great, no, reality, right? No one, wants to be no, no one wants to be married to the busy spouse, do they? Who doesn't have time for them? So we use busyness like it's a badge when in reality it's not. We're all busy, and what I'll say is say, hey, you know what? We've got growth phases coming up, and I hear excuses all the time. And when I hear excuse, I'm like, here's what I first say, is um, how much of the conversation we're having right now is like the conversation of a 15-year-old? Because 15-year-olds always have excuses for why they don't invest in their own maturity. That's what they do. That's what 15-year-olds do. They always leave excuses. But when you start taking responsibility for your life, what happens is you get what you need. Anybody believe what I'm saying? When you finally stop casting your responsibility into other people's hands, you get what you need. You begin to move into the place where you challenge yourself to be all that God has created you to be. You step into that space. That's why we teach sermon series on Sundays, right? That's why we do message series. We do message series and we spend time praying because we want, why? You to be able to grow. We want you to be able to take responsibility and engage the scripture. You know, when we first launched the church, we're coming up on three years. When we launched the church, um, being this co-pastor thing with myself and Pastor Chad is very unique for most people and, and it's why so many people wanted to know what speaker was preaching on Sunday. And we would always probably make them a little bit upset because we don't care about speakers and because it shouldn't be about speakers. It should be about I, as a member, want to be at the epicenter of what God is doing in the earth and the epicenter of the outpost of his kingdom is the local church and so I want to be there. Why? So that maybe God will see me and say, hey, you're ready to be used. See, we, we've been reprogrammed. We've lost our way, to be honest. I'm just being, I'm just sharing you my heart. I have never met a first-time guest in the community who's not come to the church, and I ask them, talk to them about the church. Here's what they always ask. Uh, what's the worship like? Is it contemporary or is it traditional? I've yet to come up to a person and say, hey, how is the word of God taught there? Are people growing systematically? People becoming true disciples? How's the missional arm of the church? People living with missional impetus? We've lost our way. We've lost our way. We've lost it. And so, what happens is, I tell people all the time, don't worry about who's preaching, worry about who you wanna become, <laughs> okay? so Some people are living like a slave. You have to decide right now, today, I've gotta grow up. It's time to grow up. Time to grow up. I'm not gonna put my maturity into the hands of anyone else. When someone comes to me and says, Craig, um, Pastor Craig, how are you gonna help me mature? I say, you're probably never gonna mature because I can't help anyone become an adult I wish I could wave wands and you become an adult, but I can't. You have to do it. You have to eat. You got to take your hand and you got to put it, the, the fork in your mouth and you got to eat. And then you got to wake up tomorrow and you got to eat. And you got to eat again. I can't make you an adult. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep taking responsibility. See, adolescence always wants freedom without responsibility. But any adult in the faith realizes that freedom always comes with responsibility. And that responsibility actually becomes the pathway to freedom. And then he goes on in verse four, look at it. This is straight from the text. Look what he says in verse four. It's beautiful, beautiful. He says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Isn't that amazing? He weaves our journey with the journey of Jesus. And he says, by the way, if you're living like a slave, even though you're an heir, and then also you're living like an orphan, even though you're a son or a daughter. Isn't that amazing? So he says we can live in one of two realities. We can live like a slave, even though we're heirs, Are we going to live like orphans although we're son and daughter? See this, look at it, verse five, see it. I want you to see it in front of you. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. A part of the reason that God sent his son to be born of a virgin and walk among us is to know that how he relates to us is how he relates to his son. He invites us to be his sons and daughters. He invites us to be a part of his family. See, some of you are living like slaves, but some of you are living like orphans. Slaves, orphans. Some of you, you don't understand. You've been adopted by God. You belong to the family of the creator of the universe. He says that we might receive adoption to sonship. And here's what's amazing. Verse 6 says, I love it. 6 says that because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That cries out, Abba, Father. What a peculiar thing. That God would tell us that God's spirit comes to us, God comes to dwell inside of us, and his spirit cries out in us, Abba, Father. Why would God do that? Have you ever asked this question? This is where this clicked for me this week. Why would God do that? Why would God put his spirit in us and then have his spirit cry out, Abba, Father? It's as if God knows we do not have language to express the relationship he has just given us. It's as if God knows that we have lived as orphans and slaves so long that when he changes us, we will misappropriate what he's done. We will talk incorrectly or unfaithfully about what he's done. So he puts his spirit in our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father, that we would confuse what he has just done, that we would always see ourselves as slaves, and he's the master, that we would always see ourselves as orphans, and he is our benevolent provider. And look what he says. See, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father, verse two. God is trying to tell us that he never intended for us to live our lives under guardians and trustees. He always wanted for us and intended for us to have a direct, intimate relationship with our Father. Everything we do for you, church, listen, everything we do here on Sunday gatherings for you is not so that we can stand in between you and God. It's that so no one can ever get between you and God. That you know you're a son. That you know you're a daughter. And see, some of you have been living like a slave and you don't even pray for anything because you don't feel like you should receive anything. Some of you are wondering why you have no prayer life. It's because you're probably living like a slave. You don't know you're entitled to the bloodline of royalty. You don't have a prayer life because you don't think you should receive anything from God. You, 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 you're living with a slave mentality. And when you live like an orphan, you just eat scraps. You eat leftovers. And you think that's enough. You don't get bold enough to ask what a son or daughter would ever ask for. See, see, slaves, they just exist, but orphans, they just survive. They just survive. I'm trying to make it to the next year. somebody going to adopt me? Somebody going to care for me? Somebody going to look after me. But God wants to put His spirit inside of you. And when he puts his spirit inside of you, you will have the words finally to talk to God as your Abba Father. There is no more intimate word in all of the Bible than the Aramaic word Abba. It means daddy. There's two young men in our student ministry years ago. I was in one city doing student ministry for five years straight, and there'd be many times that I was preaching or traveling or mission trips or whatever have you. And so I had this young man who I loved. he become a dear son to me. I had him preach on a Wednesday night, and he did a great job from what I hear, but it's a highlight moment for him. And I came back the next week and I sat down with him. I said, tell me what you preached about. And so we were gonna evaluate what he preached and how it went. He told me, he said, I spoke on identity. I said, of course you spoke on identity because see, every preacher of the gospel has what I call a life theme. And you can hear that theme in whatever they talk about. You probably, if you come here long enough, you'll know my theme. You'll know Pastor Chad's theme. We all have themes. And it's normally the the vacuum that we did not receive as understanding as sons and daughters that we then begin to speak of the rest of our life. And so he is, I said, no doubt, yours is identity. Yes, your, your life theme. And and he began to open up to me and he said, it's really hard because his dad was a great man and very well-known man, very well-known man, very well-known in many different aspects. He was a do-it-all Renaissance man, ministry, every area. And he said, it's so hard, Pastor Craig, being a son to him because every time I get referred to, I'm always connected to him. And I don't know how to find who I am. It's really hard. He's in his adolescence, he's in his teenagehood trying to figure out who he is trying to figure out who he is apart from his dad, that he is his own person, that he has his own calling. And he he said to me, I love my dad, but it's so hard being his son. And I said, listen, brother, that's such an irony because the next week I had another young man preach and he had a dad who was not there. So you had a dad who was always there. And this guy has a dad that was never there. And he didn't know who he was in part because he didn't know who his dad was. So because he didn't know who his dad was, he didn't know who he was. And so it created a vacuum in his life. And the crazy thing, I said, listen, you are struggling with identity because you have a dad that didn't leave you and was with you every day. And you're struggling with identity crisis because you have a dad who left. The reality of it is that so many of us struggle with our relationship to our fathers. We struggle with our identity as it relates to our fathers. He was either gone or he was there. Your father was either a terrible dad or your father was an awesome dad, and yet you're still struggling. I have a theory about this. I'm gonna tell you in just a minute. I have a theory of why you can have good dad or bad dad and still be dealing with dad issues. I have a theory. But I see it in young people, both of them coming from the same different situations, still dealing with identity. Like, let me prove it to you, every athlete. In America, you watch them on TV, they win a championship, they put the mic in front of their face, and what do they say, I wanna thank my mom. Hey, mom, I love you. I wanna thank my Lord Jesus Christ and mama. Mama, you were there for me, right? You were there, mama. What are you gonna do with this newfound money? I'm gonna go to Disney World with who? My mama. She's 65, but I'm taking her to Disney World. When's the last time you watched on TV? No one ever says, hey, dad, thank you, dad. Thank you for busting your tail. For 18 years of my life to provide for our family. Hey, dad, thank you. What is it? Every pro athlete doesn't have a dad? No, there's something deeper happening. There's something deeper happening. We don't refer to our dads, we don't communicate about the importance of our dads. And here I am, a dad, and I'm thinking, man, we're half the population. Throw us a bone here. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Throw a dog a bone. See, I think we all struggle with our identity with our parents because we never become fully what they hope we would be or what we think that they wanted us to be. But we don't just struggle with our identity with dad. We don't just struggle with our identity with mom. We don't just struggle with our identity with family. We don't just struggle with our identity with other people. We struggle with our identity with other human beings. That's why we try so hard to act like we already know who we are. Have you ever noticed this? How funny we are as humans. Have you ever noticed how hard we work at being unique and yet we look the same? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, this is funny in our culture, right? Like, yeah, isn't it amazing? I'm just being me. Hey, where'd you buy those shoes? Yeah. Hey, I'm just being, where'd you buy that shirt? Hey, I'm just being me. What, what, what workout plan are you on? You're looking good, bro. Yeah. like I, I'm just being me, but yet we look to everybody else. We looked all secondary identi- identification. Isn't it amazing? We all find our own tribes, don't we? I know people who won't walk, walk into certain coffee shops because it will ruin their image. They're a certain type of coffee connoisseur. They won't drive certain type of cars because it will ruin their. We find our tribes. We do it as humans. We are fickle people. We choose our teams. We wear the uniforms of teams we never played for, and they don't even pay us a, a penny. We are walking mobile marketing machines for a team just so we can be ad- identified with 100,000 other fans. Sorry, Ronaldo. Sorry, Portugal. You go down. You, you think about the identity crisis then the Falcons fans have been going through for the last few years. Woo. Living in the past, the 1999 Super Bowl, right? We're going to ever make it back. Think about the identity crisis Georgia fans are having because they have no past to go back to. <clears throat> Get in, stab, stab, right? I know, we we Tennessee fans are the same too. We we have to go back to 1998. We are totally confused. We follow Twitter every day and every recruiting station and every every young high school kid. We're putting our hopes on 17 year olds to make the decision to go to UTK. I mean, we are just totally an identity crisis too. So so imagine the identity crisis that Warriors fans have of the fear that the future cannot be as good as the present. <laughs> So so we attach ourselves to all other different forms of identity. And here's the dilemma. Whether or not you believe in God or not, you're streaming live today, you're listening to my podcast, whether you believe in God or not, if we are created by God in his image and likeness, if we are created for relationship with God, then our identity and core identity can only come from God. And maybe that's why it doesn't matter if your dad was in the home or your dad wasn't in the home. Maybe that doesn't matter if you're a Georgia fan or a Tennessee fan. Maybe that doesn't matter whether or not you're this way or that way. It doesn't matter if you were this or that, because whatever you connect yourself to is not going to ama- amount to being satisfactory enough for you. In other words, it's amazing how many secondary things we connect to. So right now in America, we're, we're polarized. We're Republicans or we're Democrats. We're straight or we're gay. And we connect ourselves to so many identity sources that try to claim our source of identity until finally we get old enough to we admit it doesn't work. It's not enough. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy deep down in the soul. As long as your identity is in anything else other than Jesus, you will always live as a slave or an orphan. You will always. We have these DNA studies. Have you noticed this proliferation of DNA studies? Ancestry.com, Family Trees in the last few years. Why is it doing it? It hadn't happened in the history of the world. Why is this happening? 23 and me, 23 pairs of chromosomes. You can do it, do the blood test, pay a couple hundred dollars. They can understand you have a predisposition predisposition to heroin or cocaine. That's good to know as a pastor. I need to take that right. Do I have more of a predisposition to heroin or... Do I have more of a predisposition to have kids that are athletic or not athletic? They they, they do all of these studies. Family Trees, Ancestry.coms. Everybody's trying to figure out who they are. Everybody's looking for Identity. Told you the temptation of our age is to always live out of an image you've created rather than identity you've received. That's the temptation of 21st century America. We live out of images rather than the identity we've received, and so people are looking. And we have these DNA studies. And see, slaves—they never own anything, but orphans never belong to anyone. They never belong. For a huge part of our lives, maybe you're in this room today. You have had the mindset of an orphan. And you don't belong to anyone, but now you're in Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're in Jesus, now you belong to everyone. You belong to everyone. You belong to not just the church, but you belong in your life to the people who need Jesus too. What you need if you've been living as an orphan is you need a kind of relationship with the creator of the universe where his spirit comes to dwell in you. And you hear these words come out of the depth of your soul. They don't even come from you, but they say, Abba, Father, you've been received where you're no longer an orphan but a son or a daughter. Listen to me, church. This is not a religion, DP. This isn't a belief system. Christianity isn't a set of internal belief system. You are being adopted into a family. Would you listen to me? Listen to me clearly. You need to stop for a moment right here on this Sunday morning and realize that the creator of the universe is standing right now, not tomorrow, not an hour, right now in front of you, and he is saying, I want you. I want to adopt you as my son. I want to adopt you as my daughter. I want you to experience all of my inheritance I want you on my team I want you in my family I want you to experience the privileges of a son I want you to experience the privileges of a daughter who was born out of my own flesh and blood I want you to be my inheritance and you know what God is waiting for he's waiting for just someone to stand up and say adopt me adopt me That's all he wants from you, non-believer. He just wants you to stand up and say, adopt me. And his spirit will come rushing to you and the life of Christ will fill your spirit. And you will hear from the depths of your soul something crying out saying, Abba, Father, you are adopted. See, listen, I'm done being a slave. I'm done being an orphan. See, when you're living like a slave, it's time to put childish things behind you. It's time to grow up. But when you're living like an orphan, you need to know who you are and speak up. This is grow up. This is speak up. By the way, if you don't know what it feels like to live as a slave or orphan, let me just describe it a minute. Can I do that? If you're here and you're just overwhelmed with anxiety all the time, you're anxious about everything. I'm not talking about physiological anxiety. I'm not talking about serotonin levels, and, which is certainly reality. I'm talking about situational, circumstantial anxiety. Anxiety. You are overwhelmed with anxiety, and you can't, you're so overwhelmed now, you can't find out the source of where the anxiety is coming from. You don't know where the anxiety and the fear is coming from, but you are overwhelmed and you can't identify what's causing it. I'm telling you, you're living like a slave and an orphan. And life isn't supposed to be lived like that, honey. Life is not supposed to be lived like that, son. You're supposed to be free from that free and worry. You're supposed to be free from that fear. You're supposed to be free from that type of slavery. If you're here, you're always depressed. You are struggling with depression all the time. No matter how much good happens in your life, you always see the bad. Your spouse is mad at you because even though things are happening, they're blessings, you always see the ugly side. You always speak to the ugly side. You can never see the good. You only see the wrong. Let me tell you, you're living like a slave and you're living like an orphan. Some of you here, you're stressed out all the time. You're stressed out and you think it's because of your life, and you think it's because of your job, and you think it's because of your work schedule. I'm telling you, there are people on planet Earth taking on way more than you, and they're not stressed. They're able to do circles around you in their seven-day work week, and you are and they're not stressed. Listen to me, stress is not the result of your outside circumstances. Stress is a result of your internal world responding to those circumstances. Stress is not about what's happening to you. Stress is about what identity you take and how you respond to what's happening to you. That's what stress is. It has nothing to do with what's happening externally. It has nothing to do with the pressures externally. It has to do with who you are. If you're here and you're struggling with insecurity, you're struggling with worry, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with stress and fear, and you you are paralyzed. I want you to know that you can be unchained today. I want you to know that Jesus can set you free today. I want you to know that you can get set free from those chains. I want you to know today that you don't have to drag those chains into every future relationship you have. You don't have to drag those chains into future marriages. You don't have to drag those chains into a future relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't have to do that. God has set you free. He wants to set you free, and you can live unchained. Some of you, you don't have to drag them into every job opportunity. You don't have to drag them into every tomorrow. Some of you keep facing a tomorrow that looks like your yesterday because you're dragging your yesterday into your future but you are chained to it and God wants to set you free God wants to set you free you don't have to do it you don't have to live that way God wants to break those chains and unchain you and set you free to a son or a daughter but when he sets you free only a son or a daughter can walk in that kind of freedom only a son or daughter Look at verse seven. He says, I'm almost finished. He says, so since you are no longer a slave, but God's child, since you are his child. Everybody say since. Since you are his child. Since you are his child. It's already happened. This is already real. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, let me tell you, the moment you say yes to Jesus, I give you my life. You know what Jesus does? He rushes into your spirit and he gives you life. He rushes into your spirit and he makes you brand new. He says, since you are God's child, he has also made you an heir. Listen, listen, church, let that sink in a minute. You are an heir of God. That means every promise in Scripture is now a part of your own inheritance because you're a son or daughter. It's part of your inheritance. And the Lord so conditioned me and challenged me this week. He doesn't have to upgrade this. (laughs) He didn't just say, I died for you. Be glad with that, Craig. He didn't just say, hey, I rose from the dead. Just suck it up and make it through life. Take another lap, buddy. He doesn't have to tell you that the promises and the inheritance are yours. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to claim you as a son or daughter. He wants to. He wants to. He wants you to be overwhelmed with His love. Are you living like an heir? Are you receiving what is yours? You need to stop and grow up to stop being a slave. You need to speak up to stop being an orphan, but you need to rise up if you're gonna be an heir. Grow up, speak up, rise up. If you're gonna be the heir. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12, I'm finished with this passage. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Became a man, I put away the childhood ways. Paul said, now we see only a reflection as a mirror. I preached this two weeks ago. and Didn't see what I saw this week. Then we shall see face to face. And he says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And it started to make sense to me. and it hit me like a ton of bricks. The reason people search ancestry sites, the reason people search 23andMe, the reason people search for everything that they can find is because they want to know fully. And they don't know that they can be fully known. See, the reason you keep searching for your identity with the broken pieces around you and you got broken pieces from a broken home or a broken situation or a broken world that has sinned against you and transgressed against you and the reason you're trying to get the pieces together to find who you are is is so you can know yourself. That's not it. The reason you're trying to get the pieces together is so that you can be fully known. See, if you don't know who you are, how can anyone else know who you are? If you don't know who you are, how can a spouse know who you are? If you don't know who you are, how can a friend know who you are? If you don't know who you are, listen, this is why I have compassion today. If you don't know yourself, you live in fear and terror that no one will ever fully know you. And you know you and you live with you and you keep living with you. And if no one can ever fully know you, then no one can ever fully you So you live in fear for most of your days that you will be disconnected and alone in your life. We know how this love thing works, right? Marriage, you got to show them the best you long enough to where they are committed so that when they see the not so best you or the oh so well hidden you, they've already crossed the line into the point of no return. We know this, right? You, you don't want them to see you. You know what the most terrifying thing in America is? The most terrifying thing in the world is? You need the person who loves you to know you, but you are terrified that if they truly know you, they will never love you. So you're terrified. You live as an orphan. You live as a slave. Here's the amazing thing about God. He He knows you fully. He knows you completely. He knows you exhaustively. He knows you from the beginning. He knows every idiosyncrasy. He knows every bit of your sin. He knows all of your imperfections. He knows everything that you won't even tell yourself because you're so afraid to recognize that it is you, much less say it out loud. He knows it all. He knows every bit about your dreams and ambitions and hopes and futures. He knows about your anxiety and depression and hardship and heartache. He knows it all, and yet he loves you completely. He loves you completely that's what it means to be a son or daughter. When you get free woo you stop living with a slave mentality. You stop living as an orphan and you know you're an heir. You know you're a son or daughter to know that you are fully known and fully accepted this is an amazing God. Not only does He see who you are, church, he sees what you can become. He sees what you can become. He sees more than you can know or imagine. So I've made a decision. Can I confess to you my decision? It's a recent one, It's in this week. But I've made a decision. I'm gonna start living like an heir again. I have inventory in my life and I got a lot of slave language. And I've inventoried my thought life and belief in who God is and I've got a lot of orphan mentality. I found way too much slave language in my own life as a leader. I have been acting like things are too big for God. And I've been acting like God is surprised by my difficulty. And I'm done being that way. I'm not gonna be a slave anymore. I'm gonna be an heir. Or daughter. I'm done with orphan language. I'm done with asking God for crumbs for my family and future. I'm done with asking God for crumbs for our church future. I'm done with asking God for things that only my mind can comprehend. I want heir language. I want son or daughter language. I'm tired of asking God for that which is only existing. I'm tired of asking God for that which is only about survival. I'm tired of asking and thinking that I can exhaust God's generosity. I'm tired of thinking internally that I can exhaust His love, that I can exhaust His grace, that I can exhaust His mercy. I'm done with that. I'm done with being a slave. I'm done with being an orphan. I'm going to live like an heir. And I told the Lord this week in prayer, you know what, Lord, when I I met you in February of 2, I didn't step into this saying, God, I'm a son. I stepped into this saying, God, I'm a mess. I'm in trouble. God, I didn't come into your presence in 2002 saying I'm a son. I came in saying I'm a sinner, and I don't God, I really don't know why you want me. But if you want me, God, I want to be wanted so bad. I want to be wanted. You know that, Lord. If you want me, Lord, I, I know I don't feel like a, or an heir or son or daughter. I still think like a slave and I have orphan mentalities. But I'll stop acting that way and I'll be an heir if you call me an heir. I'll be a son if you want me to be a son. Thinking about what's happening in our church right now. It's 4th of July weekend. We have tons of people traveling to the early gathering. We pastors, we're funny people. God always gives me a word to speak to the church that I feel like is very prophetic and timely in a weekend that everybody travels. And I fight it. I fought it all week. Finally, I just surrendered to it. I said, okay, it is what it is. I'm, I'm sharing what I feel like God's put in my heart. But we as a church, we're in that place. god asked us to plant three years ago oh my goodness we had no slave mentality no orphan mentality none we've been looking for places we've been looking for land to buy anytime within a 10 mile radius of here you know that land is out astronomically expensive one piece of land we looked at 425 thousand dollars an acre Wait, 2.5 million dollars with five acres before we've even started building the building and the realtors ask you questions like well You're going to have a conversation? And I'm like, yeah, well, I'll reflect. And so here's the money that's needed. And then here's the money we have. There I am again. There I am again. Orphan, slave. I do it every day. And this week, God shook me. He took me by the shoulders and he shook me. He said, "Craig, what are you doing? Who have you become? I, I. I confess to you, I don't know what's happened to me. I don't know, but I'll confess to you. I don't, I, maybe it's taking care of a family. Maybe it's working multiple jobs. You just get to a place where, man, you just start surviving. You stop believing that God wants to send people and people around the nations of the earth. You just you just somehow get into survive on existing. You just somehow revert back to old mentalities. You just you just become slaves again in your mind and orphans again in your mind. And God shook me. A couple years ago, I was in the Philippines preaching in a place that didn't have much money. You think of third world country, developing country, you think of, oh, they don't have what it takes. They, they don't have what it takes. And I walk in to speak of this church that I love, precious people, Church of God, Dos right there in Cavite, Philippines. And I walk into the church to preach, the church of 10,000 plus people, and they got a building that sees 1,500 people. they do eight services a Sunday, all every one of them packed 5 a.m., 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 12, or 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m. And I don't, that pastor preaches all of them. Pastor Anthony, he's a machine. I, every time I preach there, I'm preaching three or four. But I go there and I'm looking, and they got state-of-the-art stuff, and their worship teams are incredible. And I'm thinking, look at all they have. And this is world class. And I started thinking, how's this possible? This is in manila. And it hit me. We're living in America with the most money of any nation in the world, but yet we're living like slaves and they're living like heirs in the Philippines. I'm living like an orphan, and they're living like an heir. They're living like a son. They're living like daughters. You know, we in church life, we, we plant churches. We believe God's called us to plant churches around the world. So we kind of pride ourselves on being nomads. Oh, we can just rent, rent. That's what I've thought in my mind. We can just rent, 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 rent. And God shook me this week and said, Craig, slave mentality, slave mentality, slave mentality, slave mentality, because slaves don't think they can own anything. Slave mentality, slave mentality. Oh, we're good with it. We don't need buildings. You know what? The Lord shook me. He said, know, you need a building and you need to plant the roots because there should be a church here whose love is impacting the city with boldness. Long after I'm gone, the church needs to be his lighthouse. Long after my son's gone, the church needs to be here because Woodstock and the people of Metro Atlanta need something that we have, I promise you. They need hope. I'm tired of seeing people move to Atlanta who are gifted, who are creative, who are incredibly gifted, who have so much talent and ability, but because they have no hope, they take their own life. I believe that there's time for a church to, to walk in unison as heirs and sons and daughters to say, God, what could you do if we moved in unity as sons and daughters of God what could you do and so you know what we want to move forward am I grateful for 200 plus people who come here every week and I am but we are just scratching the surface dear God I don't want to grow content I want to reach more people I want to see more families restored I want to see lives touched and by the gospel of Jesus Christ I want to see people set on fire and set on fire for God's purpose in the world so I've decided you know what I'm going to be in air And I'm not just doing it for us. I'm doing it for a hundred years from now because we need to be here. I had a friend who I talked to years ago, years ago. And he was at Hillsong Paris, Hillsong Paris, the church. And I asked him, I said, when you guys planted Hillsong Paris, I said, you know French? He said, no, we didn't know any French. I said, how'd you do this? He said, well, it was all the Hillsong London team. And on Saturday morning, all the Hillsong London team would get together they'd get all their crew and they'd get all their equipment and they would put it on the channel and they would go from London to, Paris and they would set up in a ballroom and set up for that night service and they would have a service that night and then everybody on the team would take down, tear down, they would get back on the channel and go through the middle of the night and then they would go set up in London for Sunday morning services to have all day long and the churches are busting at the seams and I'm listening to him talk to me you know what I'm saying if they can find people that committed to the mission of Jesus to turn cities upside down I know we can find some people in Metro Atlanta who want to turn our city up down I know that we can find some people who want to be obedient to God and the work of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom in our own city and to be honest with you until we buy something we're like tourists passing through and I want to let our city know you know what we aren't going anywhere we're here to stay so you say well i can't do that i can barely have a job I'm barely take care of my own bills. Listen to me. Let me tell you what I need from you, what God needs from you today. What we need from you is a full measure of your faith. That's what we need because God's going to do beyond what we can imagine. I don't. We don't need. Yeah, there will come a day when we ask this church to give because we have a step and we. God's made it clear we're believing. We're believing for traction of what's next for us. We want a, a facility that people can come in that would serve our needs. We're busting out the seams. God doesn't want 30-something people in the DP Kids room with me teaching on Thursday nights. God wants to give us something out. I know he wants to give us something else. I know he has something more for us. What we've got to do is we've got to walk in unison to say, Lord, we are not going to live as slaves and we are not going to uh, default to orphan mentalities. We're going to be sons and daughters of God and we are going to move as the heirs of God to see your kingdom be advanced around us. We're going to see it. It's time to see what God will do if we believe we're heirs. It's time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.